welcome back to another episode of I Wish I Was Taught That at School. My name is Evelyn Clark and together with my co-host Emily Wallace, we bring you an episode every week on the topics of finance, property and mindset that hopefully you weren't taught in the everyday school system. This week, I'm lucky enough to sit down with Josh Pennell from Prosper Advisory. Josh is the director and also a financial advisor himself. Welcome, Josh. Thanks, Evelyn. Thanks for having me. No worries. Do you want to tell listeners a little bit about your background and perhaps how you got into the financial services industry? Yeah, sure. Probably had quite an interest in uh, investing from a young age. Had your sort of typical part-time jobs, but I really enjoyed working, enjoyed earning money and enjoyed putting some of that aside. So I started investing in shares when I was about 15 and then um, continued to work and eventually study in that area as well, doing an economics degree. Started combining that sort of personal experience with the, the learnings out of the book and on the job. Yeah. And then from a perspective of sort of more what you focus on with clients around property, uh, eventually went and bought my first property at around age 25 and that was a great sort of stepping stone to um, continuing to build wealth from there on. Yeah, absolutely. And for our listeners today, we're really going to drill down into, I suppose, some different ways and different strategies that they can make money themselves and start to build and prepare and plan for that long-term wealth creation journey. And a lot of that's going to come out of your personal story today, Josh. But let's start with that, the concept of buying your first home, because it's, it is really the first milestone and it's what sets people off in the right direction. Yeah, definitely. I know you've done past episodes on, you know, budgeting and how to manage money. So I'll definitely encourage people to go back and look at that and think about those because that is definitely where we always start from with clients. You can't invest in anything, whether it's shares or property, if you just don't have those sort of money management habits down pat and you don't have your budgeting and cash flow really well organised. So that was certainly what set me in good stead. You know, when I said there, you know, started working, started investing when I was 15 if you've got that surplus income going to a productive place on a regular basis, that's really the stepping stone. Obviously, for most people, the aim of that would be to put together the deposit for a home so you can get into the into the market. In my case, I did it through shares initially and then diversified out into property as well. So, yeah, that is 100% the place to start. So for listeners who are thinking... All right, I want to go and look at all these properties and go to auctions and all that sort of thing. If you haven't got that habit in place, then you really need to spend a year or two getting really on top of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's the starting point. But then from there, if we jump forward a bit and assume we're talking about people who, who've got that under under place and you know they are ready to, to be able to make a purchase, I think the key thing is obviously do all your relevant research about choosing a quality property, getting help from people like Evelyn and Emily with actually getting the right finance structures in place and and choosing a quality asset is really important. But the thing is, just start as soon as you can. If we can borrow money at the moment at around 3%, you'd hope that uh, you can then go and purchase assets that are going to get you a return of, let's call it hopefully 10% on average per annum or more, which is what history has shown for both property and shares. And that way you're, you know, really leveraging your capital and getting a greater return on those borrowings, which is not a scenario we've historically been in. Yeah. So that's an opportunity. Um, But if you don't have that initial capital to start with, then, you know, you you can't get get going at all. I think you touched on an important point there, which is say we're looking at a a potential return of 10% per annum. Mm. 
a lot of people get caught up in the whole idea of what the rental return looks like in a property. But when we're talking about 10% here, we're really talking about both the capital growth and the rental combined to be able to provide you an overall return of that 10% mark. Yeah. Well, over the long term, both shares and property have returned around about 11% per annum. Yeah. Very similar figures. And we're talking sort of 100-year statistics. So, yeah, the opportunity is there, but... And then it comes down to what the person's obviously buying for. Um, yeah, are they buying for lifestyle reasons and a home or are they buying for an investment? And in my case, I sort of did both at the same time. So the first pro- property I bought was a deliberately a three-bedroom property and I moved into the property myself, which meant that I was no longer paying rent. I feel I got, a, I got the property at quite a good price. Thankfully, at that time, clearance rates were somewhere in the 40% mark. It was a private sale, mm-hmm. so I had much more power to negotiate the purchase price. Probably not the sort of market we're in at the moment. Yeah. And from there, I then also put two tenants into the property uh, and was able to really aggressively pay down the initial loan. Something that will shock most listeners is at that time, I mean, this was 2008, the interest rate on my loan was 8%. Yeah. So unheard of at the moment. Well, they were much higher than that for a period of time as well. Well, exactly, right. Yeah. Exactly. You hear about your parents' stories and 18% and things yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. So that was very different, but not long after that, obviously, we had the GFC. Rates got cut initially by 1% in a day, uh, and then they kept falling from there and, until you know where we are now. So it did make it easier. So the combination of rates coming down, having tenants in the property, Plus, obviously, I wasn't paying rent, so I had additional surplus income. And just having a really well-structured budget where I knew that I was pumping money into that loan as quickly as possible is what allowed me to to build up equity in that initial property and then um, use that for future investment opportunities. Yeah, fantastic. So you were 15 when you started looking into shares and yep. started investing in that. Yep. Built some deposit essentially from your shares and some of the return that you would have received from that, but also just being diligent with your savings. Yeah. Bought your first property 10 years later then at mm-hmm. 25. Mm-hmm. Again, you were smart about the way that you brought tenants in to help pay down that debt and increase that cash flow that you had available. Yep. Continue paying down that debt, hopefully a little bit of market increase as well on the property and now you've mm. got some equity. Yep. What did you do from there? Then I purchased a second property that was more of a lifestyle purchase. So... I think I was probably around 30 at that time and that was more around getting married, looking to start a family. So the focus on that property wasn't so much from a return perspective, it was more of a lifestyle decision. But yeah, I was able to get into that property through a combination of other savings and then equity built up in that initial property. So I bought in, into that in around 2011. Again, was, you know, obviously it's somewhat by chance because markets do what they want to do, but yeah. I sort of saw that the market had come off at that time and clearance rates again were low. Uh, this property did sell by auction, but it wasn't the sort of probably um, competitive environment we're in at the moment. Yeah. <clears throat> so there was a few, there were a few bidders, but was able to pick the property up again at what I thought was a, a pretty reasonable price. After that purchase, you know, continued, didn't obviously rent out any rooms or anything. That property was living there yeah. as a family, family but... Home still continue with those traits around, you know, having a real awareness of what our budget was, paying down debt, et cetera. And then what that meant was there was an opportunity for me to buy into a business. 
and and the size of that business was probably prohibitive to most people my age in the sense that they wouldn't have been able to uh, fund yeah. the purchase. But because of those prior years of putting those things in place and building up some wealth through through property and shares and through you know good cash flow management, it meant I could actually engage in that conversation with that business. And obviously, as part of that, I was able to see the financials and the potential return on that and, and the ability for that um, business to then help with funding any debt I took on to buy into it. Yeah. So again, you, you're then putting yourself in a position where you can keep scaling up and, and taking that next step. Mm. Whereas if you're not already in the investment world, if you're not buying assets that are giving you a better return than sitting your money in the bank, if you're not managing your money well, you're not, not in a position to keep growing and going that next step up the ladder yeah. as you go along. Yeah. So all those decisions, whilst are probably the harder decisions to make along the way, it's sort of a snowball effect. Absolutely. Where you, your first decision and maybe some sacrifices aids the ability to do the second thing, which aids the ability to do the third thing, and all keeps growing from there. Yeah, and I think it's really important, like you've mentioned a couple of times, you had the foundations in place, which was really understanding what your – financial position looked like, having your cash flow management and your budget in place yep. and then being really strategic from there about how you chose to invest and what assets you did diversify into because you didn't just jump straight into a business acquisition mm. or investing in a business because you wouldn't have been able to do that had you not have had the property security there to back you because I'm assuming you would have – did you leverage some of the wealth in the property to help you get into that business? Yeah, there yep. was sort of, you know, as you know, the banks try and uh, – take your kidney and everything else for security. So, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah there's obviously a, a range of requirements that the bank had on different forms of security for mo- both myself and the business partner who was yeah. remaining in the business. So there was property security, there was the actual you know, financial assets and revenue and um, looking at the financials of the business to see that that was going to act as a, a form of security and there was director's guarantees as well. So yeah. unless you're able to really those requirements mm. that the bank is you know going to want then it might be a great opportunity but if you can't get sufficient finance then you might be limited obviously there could be you know vendor finance or other opportunities available but you sort of don't want don't want to be preventing yourself from getting an opportunity purely because you can't get access yeah, to right. the funding absolutely having that property there as security for the bank is obviously a lot more favorable for your position yeah as opposed to i mean when we're talking about million dollar businesses, they're not going to you're not going to be able to buy into something like that unless you've got the initial capital up front yeah. um, without having some kind of security to back it as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because yeah. The, of course the banks want to know what their way out is, yeah. as you well and truly know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So tell us a bit more about um, asset selection and why it's important to di- diversify where mm. you're investing. Yeah, well, when I purchased my first property, I actually didn't sell any of my shares to do that. So I felt that, they were good assets at the time. I had, you know, savings separate to that to fund my deposit. So I thought, you know, continue with those assets because it is a different asset to property, but also because um, even though interest rates are 8%, I still felt that those assets were probably going to get me a better return than that over time. So that allowed me to continue diversifying. So over time, it's been a combination of investing in property, investing into my business, retaining a share portfolio and then with my superannuation, which I've been reasonably aggressive with my age in terms of 
contributions mm. and stuff to allow for tax savings, I'd focus that more on shares and, and equity-based investments. So yeah. it starts to build out a nice diverse portfolio. Mm. And that's probably a thing to touch on as well is a lot of people, even who maybe haven't bought a property, are pretty well aware that you can borrow to buy property. Yeah. But a lot less people are aware that you can borrow to invest in shares. Mm. And if you are going to do that, you've got two options. You can either take out what's called a margin loan, which is a loan that uses the share portfolio as security, or you can use equity in a property as a security instead. And I've had experience with both and would in most cases, depending on the client, say that using security in a property is more favourable to the client. I had a scenario where I had a, a geared portfolio back around about when I bought my first property um, and I had a margin loan against it but I was on a holiday in Europe yep. uh, right when the GFC hit so markets were absolutely tanking I'm off trying to enjoy a holiday in Europe yeah. and um, I'd given details of my portfolio to my dad in case anything happened and he called me and said oh you've got a margin call and it was just when I would bought the property so I had debt and all these things going yeah. on and like, oh, great. And Excellent. you're just trying to have a holiday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Off in the sunny, where were you, Greece? <laughs> That's right. On a boat? <laughs> uh, well, I think I started in London, but yeah, it was one of those trips where you kind of do about 12 countries in yeah, five weeks okay. and you try and see the whole of Europe, yep. your first experience. So uh, it was pretty, pretty hectic. But no, uh, so that was fine. I said to him, okay, I've got a little, you know, I've got some cash to put in there because that's one of your options is add more cash. But then about two weeks later, he called me again and he didn't get hold of me. Not sure if I was on a pub crawl or something, but <laughs> um, and anyway, so in the end, they just sell they just sell your stock. Yeah. So you for, for our listeners that maybe don't know what a margin call is, you want to explain yeah, that essentially, um, when you have a a margin loan, which is a, a loan against your shares, if the loan to valuation ratio gets to a certain level, then they will make a call that your portfolio is becoming too risky, and they either want more cash uh, deposited in there, or they want some of the equities sold down. Um, to bring that loan to valuation ratio Yeah, to balance down. it back out. Exactly, yeah. give them greater comfort and security. So, yeah, if, if that doesn't happen, then they've, you know, as part of their terms, they can sell stock, uh, which they did, which wouldn't have been my choice because, again, I like to hold good assets and keep them. But uh, it's a good example that if if that loan had been against property rather than a margin loan, then obviously their ability to sell the house from under you is a lot more limited and the likelihood of them being able to value and see the exact loan-to-value ratio and things like that is is a lot less. So that's another opportunity that property can present is it can become the tool to help you then gear into shares and diversify into other asset classes as well. Absolutely. And when we're talking about sort of the differences you touched on, banks aren't valuing or they don't know sort of, I suppose, the the loan-to-value ratio in as much depth, it's not as it doesn't fluctuate as much as what perhaps a margin loan or a, a geared facility like that would. Yeah. Where the fluctuations are probably more frequent, and with the home, you would think that over time that that it's going to take something quite significant for that to decrease in value so quickly or yeah. increase. Yeah. As well, but yes, it's something that we do a lot with our clients is looking at releasing equity for whether it be an investment property purchase like you mentioned or if it is to invest in shares. Mm. And again, it's important to have those discussions holistically with your financial advisor, your accountant and your broker yep. because it's important to have the the debt structured in the right way if you are leveraging it for that kind of purchase. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, obviously taking on debt comes with its risks. So first of all, we talk to clients about um, do they have a personality type that allows them to deal with risk and sometimes things like volatility and movements in property markets and that sort of thing. You then got people like yourself who come in and make sure the actual structure of the loan is correct, best lender, best rate, all that sort of thing. And there's other things to think about as well, you know, making sure that, for example, you've got sufficient life insurances, income protection insurances in place so that if something unforeseen happens to the individual or if it's a couple, then, you know, one of the partners in the couple, then they've got um, measures to be able to continue paying the mortgage and not being a forced seller of a property or shares, which is a position you never want to be putting yourself in. And, yeah, just really analysing what is an appropriate amount of debt to be taking on. So as an example, with margin loans, we we'd almost never recommend a loan-to-valuation ratio of more than 50%. Okay. Whereas with a property, obviously, it's going to be generally a lot higher than that. Then you overlay that with the individual client's sort of risk tolerance and so on. Mm, absolutely. And we mentioned before, uh, I was just telling you before we started recording the podcast, mm. Another sort of example, similar to what you did, where you got your foot in the door early in the property space yep. and then were able to leverage that to grow. I was just telling you before that I've got a, a client at the moment who in the 18 months that I've been working with him is just about to buy his second. Mm. And had a very similar scenario where he bought uh, a home, but instead of perhaps his selection of asset was something that he could add wealth to through construction and yep. through renovating the property. Mm-hmm. So after he did that, he got a couple of tenants in very similar to yourself, Josh, in order to help pay down that debt quickly whilst he was still living in that as an owner-occupied residence. Yep. Now he's going to actually move back with mum and dad okay. and rent out that one completely and use the, the value of that property that has grown over the 18 months yeah. to now purchase and act as a deposit on his second investment property. Yep. So it can happen in a lot of shapes and forms, but mm. perhaps something that our listeners might be a bit scared off about or one of the biggest roadblocks that I come up against with in terms of their own mental space is they don't think they can borrow any more than 80% mm-hmm. against a property. And there's so many ways around that now. And particularly when we're looking at the first home buyer incentives, mm. first home buyers have a huge incentive to get into the market early and be able to really save some money on things like stamp duty and get their foot in the door to then be able to continue to let that wealth grow. Yeah. Yeah, I think the opportunity is there. As I said, it's I, I would only encourage that if they've, they've got a period of time behind them where they're, they've already lived as if they have borrowed that amount of money. Yeah. So let's say you're borrowing $500,000, for example, at 90%. Then in advance of that, start living your life as if you were repaying that debt mm. now historically i believe interest rates have normally and you probably know this better than me i think interest rates have normally averaged around seven or eight percent per annum over history is that about right i'm not actually sure okay. <laughs> yeah, i think it's around that like maybe sevens yeah springs to mind so for now at threes historically the advice would always be add two percent to your actual expected interest rate yeah and factor that into all your calculations and all your planning Whereas that's probably almost too low now. Yeah, um, well, it's funny you say that actually because from a bank perspective, banks used to always assess home loan repayments on seven, somewhere between 7 and 7.5% mm, in the background. Yeah. So even if you did have an interest rate of 3%, they yeah. were adding that buffer in anyway to yeah. make sure that if things did change in your circumstances or if 
changed from the bank's perspective in interest rates, you could still afford the loan. Yep. They've actually now reduced that to a floating margin of about two and a half percent. Yeah. Okay. So they are actually assessing clients at a lot lower percentage than the what they used to as shown. well. Yeah. yeah. And who knows if we'll ever get back to those levels of interest rates for various reasons that I won't sort of go into. Yeah. <laughs> but you'd, you'd imagine rates at some point are going to be higher than we're, what we're at now. Yeah. And let's assume that on average in future, they might be between 5 and 7%, something like that. So, yeah, I think the key is get used to what it actually feels like to have a mortgage of what you're planning for mm. and don't, you know, all the, you know, the sort of the great Australian dream and I want to own my own house and all that sort of thing, it all sounds really romantic and great, mm. but the reality is once you're in there, it is it can be stressful. Absolutely. Like the reality of having to, to pay the bank every month. So the, there are challenges and sacrifices that need to come with it as well. And if you've lived like that in advance and gone, okay, this is for me and I can, I'm willing to give up going to that bar I love an extra time a month or whatever it might be. You know, I'm willing to give a few things up because this home ownership or property ownership thing is really important to me for whatever reasons it is for each person. Mm. That's all fine. And then committing to, you know, the debt at whatever percentage borrowing is completely fine as well if they're you know, realistically prepared for it. Absolutely. Um, and and I'm paying, sure paying rent can also be a, a preparation tool definitely. for that as well. Yeah. As long as the rent is sort of within the realms of what their mortgage what will be. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure you have had the clients that call you up and say, oh, I bought a property on the weekend at auction. And you're like, well, are you crazy? Because you don't actually have finance yet. You've got legal obligations that come with putting your hand up. Yeah, I just had one two yeah. weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> I hear these stories all the time. The worst part about it, Josh, is he called me and he said, can, um, can you have a look at my borrowing capacity? I'm thinking he'd actually just sold a property. Yeah. So he'd received his net sale proceeds and was actually looking at investing and just and staying in a cheaper rental. Okay. And he's and I said, not a problem. We did a bit of an analysis on his borrowing capacity. I said, look, you can't actually afford the loan that you need for this particular purchase price. Mm. His wife had just come off work and for their current situation, they couldn't afford it. Yeah. And a week later, he called me and said, I just bought it auction. It's unconditional. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my goodness. He'd been pre-warned. Yeah. <laughs> I said to him, I don't know about that, but yeah. things happen. Yeah. yeah. So wherever possible, and I guess that's the whole point of you know, podcasts like this, to try and educate people, try and help them avoid mistakes that others might have made, learn from some of our journeys and experiences, would be, yeah, just don't set yourself up for failure. Yeah. You know, plan in advance. I know it sounds boring and all that sort of thing and it might take the excitement out of buying a property, but I'd rather have a less exciting six months than a really difficult 20 years of paying down a mortgage because, you know, people jumped into something or didn't really sort of have a full awareness of what they were getting themselves in for. So assuming you get all that right, then definitely taking some risk and being willing to, to borrow, to invest and so forth. Definitely, the the uh, the benefits can be there, but people need to realise it's not, yeah, you know, it's not a one month thing or a one year thing. It's, it's an not ongoing, just free money that yeah. the bank's going to throw at yeah. you. It takes time to to build wealth through any asset type, and yeah, it's just a matter of going into it well planned out, well prepared, and taking it as a you know, have a marathon mentality, not a sprint yeah, mentality. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. So, do you have any advice for our listeners? that perhaps haven't started on their journey yet when they should go 
like do you what's the youngest person that's come to you and sat down and started looking at their long-term plan historically it's been quite hard to give financial advice to younger people yeah. to be honest because often they're just not ready to hear it okay <laughs> um, <laughs> and i'd find myself literally saying to them i really don't think you're capable of receiving advice yet right. come back in five years or whatever it might be and typically they will there'll be a lot there'll be an event so it'll be okay i just got engaged i just got married i just had my first child i didn't used to care about buying property but now i do i just got a promotion whatever it is suddenly jolts them into thinking all right i'm now earning more money i've got more responsibility or whatever it might be and then they're sort of ready for advice um having said that you do get some younger people who are really just on top of it Mm. and keen and interested from a younger age so we definitely have some clients in their early 20s either off their own bad or maybe their parents are clients or something like that who come to us and and want to get started but definitely the yeah definitely the advice is start as young as you can to implement good money management habits because it really is about time you know the more the longer period you can put good habits into place good savings strategies, good investment strategies. You then come and bring in all these opportunities through things like compounding returns. As I said before, using the first asset to help with buying the second asset, taking advantage of the fact that, you know, if you're borrowing money, generally going to be able to invest that in things that achieve better returns than what you borrowed at. Mm. And obviously in many cases, the borrowings come with tax advantages and tax deductions, things like that. So um, certainly start as young as you can. Start with the the basic fundamentals around budgeting and cash flow and then get the right people around you, you know, people like yourself who are going to actually spend the time to care about what the client needs, what they need to know, how they need to structure things and get, you know, essentially get a free education along the way. Yeah, that's right. From those other experts yeah. and, and go from there. Mm, definitely. Seeking the advice of experts is so important and like you've mentioned, you're, you've literally lived the experience that many clients are sort of looking at achieving and so who better to chat to in terms of what's worked, what hasn't and give some real-life examples. Yeah, I think with anything in life, like I sort of, you know, I enjoy sort of keeping fit and stuff as well and, you know, I sort of make the uh, the analogy sometimes of I'll go into a gym and I'll see sort of a personal trainer who doesn't look overly healthy to me and I sort of think, why would I go to them to get, fitness advice for training yeah i really don't sort of it doesn't gel with me Um, and there's plenty of other professionals out there who probably don't employ their knowledge for themselves so yeah i think you want to receive advice on anything in life from someone who not only knows the relevant strategies or sort of knows things from an academic perspective but someone who can bring in the real life experience of saying oh this is you know you're doing something that I did 10 years ago or that I've actually gone through the whole journey of. And I think there's a there's a benefit there in being able to share those stories of real-life personal experience combined with sort of the, the knowledge out of the book. Absolutely. Yeah. Very well said. Thanks. So we've come to a point in our podcast now called You've Been Schooled. And I don't know if you've <laughs> <laughs> listened to What's any of our previous here? episodes. I'm, I'm scared. <laughs> uh, don't be scared. <laughs> this is just a segment in our podcast where I'm going to tell you an interesting fact that hopefully you've never heard of. And hopefully our listeners haven't either. Hence okay. you've been schooled. <laughs> I thought it was going to be like punked, like Ashton Kutcher. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I thought you were going to uh, 
trip me up. <laughs> <laughs> so this one relates to, I suppose, probably relatively topical, not to this podcast, but I suppose where, where we're at in the world at the moment. Mm. Recycling one glass jar saves enough energy to watch television for three hours. Wow. Yeah. Impressive. I'm not sure how much energy that actually equates to. And I can't say I watch a lot of TV myself. (laughs) So the average person has a chance to recycle 25,000 cans in their lifetime. Yeah. That's 75,000 hours of watching television. I probably wouldn't put it towards television watching, but imagine what else that could. Exactly. You could put that towards. Podcast listening. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Podcast recording. That's right. Yeah, fantastic. So Josh, I'm sure our listeners are going to have plenty of questions for you. Sure. Um, Whether or not they are existing property owners, they have an asset portfolio themselves that they want to perhaps have reviewed or Mm -hmm. look at their superannuation strategy and how they're actually going about their wealth creation. Yeah. How can they get in contact with you and and what sort of platforms are you available on? Yeah, sure. So we're sort of available in in most places. So our website is prosperadvisory.com.au. They can contact me on joshp at prosperadvisory.com.au. I'm also on LinkedIn. So You put a lot of good videos out on LinkedIn, so I'd encourage our listeners to have a bit of a look at those if if there's something that interests them there as well. Thanks, yeah. Just for some free advice. Yeah, no, I really enjoy putting them together. Yeah. So, yeah, on LinkedIn and then the business is on Facebook and stuff as well. So Yeah, and for our Melbourne listeners, you're based in Bentley. Yeah, based in Bentley is our permanent office. We've got a team of 14 um, accountants and financial advisors there. And then we also work out of some office space in the city as well. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming along. No worries. And for our listeners, we look forward to bringing you another episode next week. Next week will be um, hosted by Emily Wallace, along with our Chalk Talks on a Wednesday evening, which are little five-minute bite-sized mindset pieces. And you can follow us um, on our Instagram and Facebook platforms at with Evelyn and Emily. Thanks, Evelyn. Cheers.